The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station, JVC Broadcasting Management, or its sponsors. You're listening to The Nonprofit Voice, brought to you by 100 Women Who Care About Long Island. 100 Women Who Care About Long Island is a giving circle made up of local women who want to financially support vetted Long Island charities and help shed light on the work that they do. This show is produced by Marketing Works. And good morning. Good morning. This is Laura Palker, and I want to start off the morning by saying Happy New Year to our listeners. We are so happy uh, that you were able to join us this morning. We are so honored to have Lisa Pollack, the Executive Director of Lend a Hand Project. And I am just thrilled to be speaking with you this morning. Lisa, how are you? I'm wonderful, and we're equally thrilled to be here with you this morning, so thank you. So for our listeners, and I know you and I have had a, the opportunity to talk uh, throughout the years, but for our listeners who may not have heard about you, can you tell me a bit about the history of lend Project? I'd love to. So lend Project's a grassroots organization. It was founded by lo- in a local living room, basically, by several members of the community that discovered that poverty existed on Long Island. They never knew it. Um, a faith leader helped them understand this reality, and they set themselves up with this mission to support what they called, quote-unquote, their neighbors in need. Um, they used their wisdom, their creativity. It was 1998, and what they created was a program that anonymously matched donors with individuals in need. Um, so you asked in terms of history, historically that program remained intact at Lend a Hand, um, and the, pro- the support that it provided was material, financial, and emotional components, a sense of community, basically. Um, but for any not-for-profit to survive, we needed to change, we needed to evolve, so moving it forward a- a number of years. Um, We've done just that. And with the knowledge, the wisdom, and the information we amassed, we're kind of on a journey um, to create a balance between what we did historically and a dream to create a future for Lendahan. So with a better understanding of need, we're moving forward slightly differently, but we honor the past that we're so proud of. You know, there's two things that, that you just mentioned that really... Uh, pull at my heartstrings and also inspire me to do the work that I do on a volunteer basis. And that is a sense of community. And then also the neighbors in need. And you're right, you know, here on Long Island, we are so fortunate, uh, other than, than our roads, to really live in a very special place you know, with the beaches and the proximity to the city and our own theaters and local communities. And we really kind of live in this fairy tale land. And there are many, many people that do not understand that there are those neighbors who are without and that are at poverty level and seniors and elderly people that that are right in our very own backyards that that do have needs and they're basically very basic survival needs. Um, and so from 100 Women Who Care About Long Island, 
We thank you, thank you for your existence, for your perseverance, for your gathering of knowledge, and for the work that you do. So, you know, let's talk a little bit more about your mission, and let's talk about who are the people that you serve. Sure. So you've actually just named a couple, but um, let me take a step back and tell you that we're continuing to serve the material, financial, and emotional needs of those individuals in these matched relationships that are longstanding, I would call them. Um, But we also have a better understanding, and it's taken time um, to understand the frequency with which things like mental and physical challenges, abuse, age, addiction, trauma, isolation, those kind of elements factor into the equation of need as well. So what we now understand and the way we guide ourselves is that the resources that we have don't enable us to actually tackle ongoing and chronic chronic need. We're here to manage the episodic need, if you want to call it that, of communities in need in Long Island. Um, We owe it to our clients in our minds to empower them to have a voice in expressing their needs and know that we're here to listen to them. And we assess on a case-by-case basis, on a vetted basis, how we have capacity to assist them. And the goal inspires us to honor our mission, and we include a bouquet of programs that serve diverse needs in niche communities. So you use this word epistatic. Can you explain that a little bit more for not only me, but for our listeners? So epistatic meaning... Um, in our old old model, we, we had these established relationships of a donor who wanted to provide for somebody and a somebody in the form of the family that needed to be provided for, and, and they were in an anonymous relationship that was liaisoned by our office, shall we say. Um, and those are ongoing relationships some of which I would tell you remain very fulfilling for both the donors and the people being supported, and they're wonderful and heartfelt. Um, However, as an organization, what we realized is there's need. It doesn't cover the need of someone in an urgent situation. Yes, it gives them a quarterly thing to look forward to, which in and of itself is amazing, but there's episodes of need that people encounter that are somewhat unfathomable to you or I, and that's where we want to be the first call, and we've become the first call for many other organizations or for many people as well. So we've got a little bit more time. However, let's just lead right into how do people get in touch with you? Sure. So, um, first of all, our website is www.lendahandproject.org. Our phone number is 631-486-6636, and we welcome both touch points equally and look forward to hearing from people. And if somebody makes a call, um, typically how long does it take for them to be connected and and, uh, the process to begin? Oh, it's immediate. As long as there's staff in the office, it's absolutely immediate. If someone leaves a message or either on our website or on our phone, we will certainly get back to you very, very quickly. So we have... We've been actually complimented by many, many of our, our clients about our response time. 
So I, again, having the privilege of, of getting to know you a little bit more, understand how unique you are um, in terms of response, in terms of caring. But can you tell us a little bit more about the things that make you so unique? Sure. So I like to think that we're unique because of the niche communities of need that we both have identified and serve. So let me tell you a little bit about those. I think that really um, gives a view into our uniqueness. Um, So the first one I want to talk about is the ANGEL program, nicknamed the Single Acts of of Kindness program, because that reflects what I was just talking about, which is that episodic need. It's a single dose of support that can be transformative. So as an example, one of the places we do a lot of that angel work is at homeless shelters. And it always surprises people that there are homeless shelters in Long Island. They abound in Long Island. Um, And what we've learned along the way is that there are people fortunate enough to have the opportunity to leave shelters, for instance. But the current amount of private and public funding available doesn't give them what they need to move into an apartment, let's say. There's nothing available in that. So what we've done is targeted that slice between different organizations that is unmet, and we provide them what's called a housewares package for their move to independent living. Um, In addition, for the shelter residents, we provide them um, for particular moments of crisis, and we also pride ourselves in holding events for the families that are in the shelters. We have back-to-school events, holiday, Christmas, we just had our Christmas party, movie nights. Um, you know, we try to bring joy to their, to their life while, it's, while they're there and bring necessities to their life as they're trying to emerge from there. Another very recent example of our angel single acts of kindness was a woman who'd been living in her car for the past year and a half, and we were able to work with a partner organization in the community in getting her set up in her apartment. Um, those are our angels. Those, that's what we aspire to in our angel single acts of program. Um, Mother Angel is actually the next program I'd want to share. Again, trying to underscore for you our uniqueness, which is as an outgrowth of angel, we understand a lot of the need is in on mothers. Um, and a lot of the mothers in our community struggle with mental and physical illnesses and other forms of disabilities. Um, and even though this program's young, we have an actual program that caters to the needs of mothers that come to us either individually or through other uh, partner organizations. And in that program, as an example, we've, we've furnished apartments for women who've fled violent homes. We cover laundry expenses. We provide bedding. We provide sometimes, unfortunately, funeral costs. It's an amazing diversity of things that we're able to, to manage under our angel programs, both of them. Um, Another one that makes us unique is our Holocaust Survivor Program. Um, It's a response to a very different kind of need, um, but we have a really progressive view of what need need means in our community. Um, And what this program does, as you spoke of the importance of community, that's really what it does. A lot of the Holocaust survivors in our community don't have a sense of belonging to anything. Many of them have lost their families. Many of them are living alone. And even though they're some of the most resilient and vulnerable 
they're the most resilient people in our population. They're at the same time so vulnerable and so lonely. Um, you know, that's uh, one of the things that, that uh, has become very apparent to me is there seems to be um, with the nonprofit organizations on Long Island that are working, you know, we we say we do this action to provide a solution for this problem. But the one thing that has really resonated with me is the additional benefit is sometimes even more profound than the actual act of kindness. So for instance, you know, with the uh, Holocaust program, that community, being able to share with like experiences is so powerful because you you get to be able to to be in a safe place almost. And um, I've noticed that in various different communities that when people can share and feel like they're not alone and feel like they're they're not the only one um, experiencing certain feelings or emotional uh, emotional challenges that they they have a sense of comfort and then with the with the mothers you know domestic violence is just something that is you know we we heard it we heard it on the news and on the radio programs that it was growing during the pandemic and there are so many people too that are still suffering from emotional um, challenges as a result of the pandemic. You know, we're really not not meant to be isolated, and uh, and then thinking with how we kept our units and our family all working and operating, and we kept the the dishes and the laundry done. But you know, the rest of the world outside was at a standstill. And I I remember when I first came out of the house and started going around, and things were broken or they were breaking down, and of course. My first reaction was frustration, but then I went, oh my word, these are like engines whose oil has dried up and they're not functioning and we need to work as a community and let somebody know and help us all work together for our better recovery. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. So... Let's talk about, we talked about these programs and some of them... uh, as you've mentioned, are new because they're uh, they are a combination of the experience and the wisdom that you've gathered throughout the years. By the way, how how long are you in existence? So, Lendaham Project's been here since 1998. 1998. So we're celebrating our 25th anniversary, and it's our silver jubilee year. <laughs> Congratulations! Oh my Thank goodness, you. and very exciting. <laughs> Twenty-five years. Wow, that's yeah. uh, that's a lot of miracles from from the angels uh, that work with you. But let's talk about what are some of the obstacles. So um, I, I'll get to that in one moment. The one thing that I didn't mention, have a moment to mention, and I don't want to go to the obstacles until I do mention veterans, um, which is an important very part of important our program. And it actually is an area that has a significant obstacle, so it totally fits in. Our biggest obstacle, and I have to be honest, is funding. Um, the needs are growing faster than the funding is. 
Um, we're a thinly staffed organization, and it makes it difficult. It makes it difficult because more and more veterans, more and more people in need are, are reaching out. And some of it might be an aftermath of COVID. I don't want to keep going back to COVID if we don't have to, but I think we might still have to in this vein. Um, and the need is immense. The need is immense. And, you know, we never saw more people call our office, for instance, for the holidays than this year. Um, and we need to support them. We've made a, we've promised ourselves we're not going to say no and we need to keep up our promise. And to do that, we really need to keep raising money as fast as we possibly can and faster than ever before. The need is real and the need is more. And uh, I think that we need to really understand that it will take a village for us to come out on the other side of what we all want to put behind us Mm-hmm. Um, but there is an aftermath. There is a a post pandemic uh, that needs to be addressed. And for our listeners, um, if somebody wants to uh, help, if they want to make a financial contribution, uh, can you please again tell the tel- tell us the telephone number? And then also, is there any other way that they can reach you uh, for making a donation or? Um, or any other types of, of funding opportunities that you have? Sure. Uh, our phone number here, and, and we answer promptly, is 631-486-6636. And our website is www.lendahandproject.org. Donations can be made directly on the website, and also communication can be had directly through the website if that's the way someone would prefer. And we're happy to do phone or website. And what about social media? Uh, social media, we're on Facebook. Um, we're, we prefer our, using our website and our phone for personal interaction in that way, but we are on Facebook and do, do quite, are quite successful there as well um, with our fundraisers. And let's go back to the veterans. You know, we have such a debt to them for all that they've done for us and for protecting our country and for the values that we have. Um, And do we have a large uh, veteran population here on Long Island? We do have a large veteran population, and there are institutions that are designed exclusively for their care. And again, what's going back to what's unique is we're not here to do what someone else can do better, but we're here to do what other pe- the the small things that fall through the cracks of what other people are doing well. And veterans is a perfect example of that. Um, and I'm glad you asked, actually, because with veterans, what we've come to learn, and again, this is all an education process, really, is that before a veteran gets into the system to be cared for, there are delays, and it's just inherent to any bureaucracy. You're, you're not something doesn't happen one day to the next. So the need that we're focused very, very much on for veterans is the time span between when they ask for help and when they're actually signed on to get the help. And that's often as much as 30 days. Um, and in those 30 days, those veterans may not have a change of clothes. 
They right now in the veterans' facilities, for instance, they're not allowed to use regular plates and stuff because of COVID. They sometimes run out of paper plates because it's not something they were budgeted for. So these very basic human needs are, again, it's a moment in time that we can fix. We can't fix the large overbearing problems. We're small, but we can fix those moment in time problems. And for veterans, it's personal care needs, it's hygiene needs, it's clothing for the time in which they may not be covered by other resources. So just a few more minutes, or actually a few seconds now, um, what are the current organizational goals? So basically to be as impactful as we can be in the communities that I've already mentioned and to give appropriate financial and communal support to them. But if we're dreaming, we're dreaming about identifying new, new communities of need and figuring out how to help them, again, in those moments of crisis to come swooping in and fix a moment, because that's what we're really capable of, and we're capable to do it quickly and with a huge heart. Lisa, you're amazing. Single act of kindness, angel, for mom's mother angel and for the veterans call. Thank you so much, and have a wonderful new year. Thank you so, so much, and be well. You're listening to The Nonprofit Voice, brought to you by 100 Women Who Care About Long Island. 100 Women Who Care About Long Island is a giving circle made up of local women who want to financially support vetted Long Island charities and help shed light on the work that they do. This show is produced by Marketing Works. And welcome back. This is Laura Palkar. I am with 100 Women Who Care. We want to wish our listeners a happy new year. We hope that 2023 is going to be a little bit more manageable by uh, by any stretch. And we are so happy to have with us this morning, Deborah Doherty, who is the Executive Director of Canine Companions for Independence. Deborah, welcome and happy new year. Thank you, Laura, and Happy New Year to you and all the listeners. I have to tell you, I've had the wonderful privilege of speaking with you and learning about the work that you do in our community, and you are absolutely an angel, and thank you so much. But for our listeners who maybe haven't heard about you before, how are Canine Companion Service Dogs trained, and how do they help people with disabilities? Sure, I'd be happy to answer that. So um, Canine Companions, for those who may not know, is a national nonprofit that breeds and matches expertly trained service dogs with children, adults, and veterans with disabilities. And there are six regions across the country, and we're fortunate enough to have the Northeast Region Training Center, also known as the Miller Family Campus, right here on Long Island in Medford. And from that facility, we uh, serve and have volunteers in 13 states from Maine to Virginia. And so it takes us two years to fully train a service dog, and wow. there are several several phases to that training. Um, so I mentioned that we breed our dogs, um, and they're bred for a very, very specific temperament. And so their training begins as soon as they are born in the homes of volunteers that we call breeder caretakers. And their job is not only to obviously care for those puppies um, until they're about eight weeks of age, but they're also 
asked to um, expose them to normal living environments and sounds, so that sounds that a person or anybody would expect to hear in a home, just to kind of get them acclimated and used to hearing those noises at a very young age. Um, after the, when the dogs reach, reach eight weeks of age, our volunteer puppy raisers um, begin their jobs, and that is training and socializing the dogs. Um, they train them for about 14 to 16 months with about 30 commands, such as sit, stay, down, as well as, you know, socialize them and bring them um, everywhere they can in public once they are at an appropriate age. When they finish their training, um, after about 14 to 16 months, uh, they are brought back to our re regional training center in Medford, uh, where they begin the next part of their journey in what we call professional training. And they spend six to nine months with us working very closely every day with one of our professional trainers, learning the more advanced commands, such as pulling a wheelchair, turning a light switch on or off, retreating, retrieving any kind of an object from the floor um, to deliver to someone. So the dogs are, are trained to perform tasks that will assist a person with daily living needs, which will enhance their confidence and independence. So I heard you say volunteer puppy raisers. Mm -hmm. How do people volunteer or find out more about that program? So um, they can certainly go to our website, uh, which is canine.org, or they can uh, call our office at 631-561-0200 and talk to our puppy program department. Uh, we have a, a staff of two people who oversee and help and support all of the volunteers who are raising puppies for us. And we have classes. So puppy raisers are required. Um, there are certain requirements for the puppy raisers, and they need to um, just kind of keep the puppies on track so that when they're done with their jobs and they bring them back to us, all the puppies that are turned in are on, you know, the same par and kind of at the same area of learning. And so um, we do classes at our campus, and people are welcome to come and watch and observe and talk to some of the puppy races to learn more. So that's fantastic. And the so the number is 631-561-0200. And for anyone who doesn't have a pencil, we'll give you some time because we have a little bit more to chat about. So we are... What type of disabilities does a canine companion serve? So we serve people with about 65 different disabilities. Um, and some of the uh, more common ones that we serve are um, people who have cerebral palsy, muscular sclerosis, um, people who may be deaf or hard of hearing um, or, have paraly or have paralysis. And I understand that you're now helping veterans returning from Afghanistan and Iraq who have PTSD as a primary diagnosis. How do the service dogs help our nation's veterans? Yes, we do place we do place dogs with uh, post traumatic stress disorder. People who have a primary di diagnosis, also commonly known as PTSD. Um, we serve we do serve all veterans actually, um, not just from um, the more current conflicts or wars. And so those dogs uh, perform tasks for them that help them mitigate their PTSD. 
Um, they help them to feel more comfortable in public by doing what we call a front or behind, which is used to maintain personal space, say, for example, in a grocery store line or in a crowded space. Uh, in addition, they are taught nightmare interruption and how to redirect or break a person's thoughts that may be causing them anxiety. Now, is uh, this is just a, a question that's come up for me. Is the canine companion a, a service dog? Yes. Yes, it is. So it would it would fall within the uh, the um, regulations that that specify animals in certain public areas. Yes, uh, all of our dogs, all of our dogs that we place are um, given what we are granted what we call public access at the end of all of the training. The handler and the dog are administered a public access test, and then once they pass that test, they are covered under all of the um, ADA, which is the Americans with Disabilities Act um, guidelines um, and, you know, whatever that enables, wherever that enables them to go, which is most public spaces. Wow. So what are some of the commands these dogs learn that uh, assist people so that they can have greater independence? Well, we can start with the get command, which is um, picking up an object usually from the floor and delivering it to a person, um, something as small as a credit card. Uh, they can retrieve that from the floor, and then we teach the dog to deliver it to maybe a person in a wheelchair in three different ways, um, depending upon what that person's abilities are. And, you know, somebody who does use a wheelchair may not be able to bend down, like bend over, or they may be, not be able to lift themselves up. So the dog helps them with that, um, those types of uh, things. Um, we have a tug command, and that can be used to pull and hold open a door so that somebody may pass, pass through safely, or a drawer and retrieve an object out for someone. Some people use them uh, that command to open a drawer to get maybe a, um, a bottle of pills or, or something, um, a pen or a pencil. Uh, we also teach the dogs to speak only upon command, and that is if someone needs assistance, then they would be able to give that command to the dog, and that would alert a family member or a friend or a colleague if in an office um, that that person needs assistance and, you know, to go and check on them. Um, another kind of fun command that we teach is what we call the hurry command, and that is actually the toileting command. So, you know how sometimes you go outside with a pet dog and that dog wants to just kind of sniff around and find that perfect spot to go? Yes. Well, you know, someone with a disability may not want to be stuck outside in the rain or the snow and the cold weather. So they can take the dog out, tell them to hurry, and that dog will go. And then they can come back inside where it's warm and safe. Wow. And, I mean, the animals are so smart. I mean, is is that is some of that innate to their breeding or is it truly only dependent upon uh you know about learned behavior? So I think it is a combination of both. It's kind of nature versus nurture versus nature and and then training. So I think the way we um you know the way we breed the dogs for their for their temperament um, and the types of dogs that we use certainly has a big role in their uh, learning. 
And then um, just, you know, dogs, as we know from our pets, are, are, are very smart to, you know, just to start. Wow. And is there a particular story that stands out about the difference a canine companion service dog has made for someone? Thank you for asking that question. There are so many, but I I do have one in particular about um, a woman who lived here on Long Island who lived alone, um, and she used a wheelchair. And one night, in the middle of the night, she, she got up to go use the bathroom, and the cord of her curling iron became entangled in the axle of her wheelchair. And that prevented her from exiting the bathroom. And so she thought she was going to be stuck there all night until her aide came in the morning. But what she did is what we taught her and what we teach people in class is she took a number of the commands, like the tug um, and, and fix, and she strung them together and worked the dog through being able to untack and untangle that cord so that she was able to free herself and and go back to bed and not be stuck there all night. Outstanding. Outstanding. Well, you know, I, I continue to be dazed and amazed at the work that you do and the people who are affected uh, in such a positive way uh, by this work. Um, would you care to share one more story with us? Mm-hmm. Certainly, I can do that. Um, so I think uh, another story that stands out is a, a story of a veteran who um, has come back uh, time after time. Um, he's been placed with his dog for a few years now. And that dog has, he, he says that that dog has saved his life. Um, it has gotten him off of many of the medications that, was, that he was on for his post-traumatic stress. Wow. It's, it really is uh, so amazing how these animals can integrate into the life and the, the thread of someone's uh, very being. So how can I help canine com- support canine companions? Let's talk about the financial end of providing these services uh, that, that mean so much to so many people. Sure. So um, we give our dogs away to people, and um, we also provide follow-up services for the working life of the dog, which averages about 8 to 10 years at no charge. Um, So it's totally free to the recipient, and we invest about $50,000 in each match that we make. Um, So donations are vital to sustaining our mission. Um, We're privately funded by individuals, corporations, and foundations. Um, so, as I said, um, donations are vital. And another way that you can help is by volunteering, um, because that that is an enormous lift for us. So you can puppy raise. The puppy raisers are really the angels of the organization because all that they do for those puppies, we couldn't possibly do it ourselves um, and make it a viable organization um, without their help. So you can puppy raise or you can volunteer to uh, be a committee member, a committee member on one of our fundraising events, and we have three here on Long Island. Uh, we have a gala type event that'll be held in Medford um, in late summer or early fall, and then we have our annual Dog Fest event, which is in September in Massapequa, and we also do an event for veterans uh, called Salute Independence, 
where we honor our veterans and, you know, raise money to support the Veterans Initiative. And that's usually held the week of Veterans Day. Wow. So let's talk a little bit because we've got some more time here. Let's talk about what type of volunteer uh, activities are needed for the fundraising events. Um, so typically we, we need people to help us, uh, you know, come up with the, the, the logistics of things and that maybe help us um, spread the word, awareness for the events, um, get people to register um, if they have ability to help us uh, raise some sponsorship funds. That would be great as well. Um, and then also participate in the events and have some fun. Well, that sounds like a very doable list of things for volunteers. So we are looking for people who are good in logistics, ambassadors for the programs that are offered, people who can spend a little time to learn about what we've talked about today and uh, get out and spread the word and find those who are people who are good fits for the organization, uh, whether it be in raising money and sponsorship or in uh, in volunteering uh, to, to be um, puppy um, raisers. And then uh, also for those who would just like to participate. Now, where can people find out uh, or connect or where do they register to attend these events? So if you go to the website, um, canine.org, then under locations, you go to the Northeast region and then select events. Okay, so a couple of a couple of uh, clicks and you're on your way to all the information that you need to register and to participate and have a great evening or a day or at this event. So um, in the funding you were talking about, everything's privately funding. So it's, mm-hmm. um, it's individual donations, corporate donations. Um, it is now... Um, I know that there are a lot of people, professionals who are involved with estate planning and with um, with people who want to donate funds to causes that are near and dear to their heart. And for the animal lovers, um, what other ways can they donate? Um, we also have a monthly Miracle Makers program where you can um, donate monthly. Um, you can do what we call a third-party fundraiser. So if you want to um, have some sort of your own event and donate the proceeds to Canine Companions, you can do that. Um, we have what we call peer-to-peer fundraising, which we can help. We can certainly help you with. Um, uh, and, and it's just, you know, kind of the model of asking friends and family to support this cause. We have schools that do fundraisers for us. Um and there's just many, many different ways we can help you. Um, if you have an idea, I, I would suggest that you call us and, and talk with us, and we can certainly help you formulate it. The third-party fundraisers really look interesting because I know that more and more uh, companies are utilizing fundraising events to uh help them with team building and with uh, building their social responsibility 
efforts uh, to enhance their brand. And so this would be an amazing organization to get involved with to uh, to do just that. Um, bring your employees together and have them do a fundraiser that, uh, that can support uh, the Canine Companions for uh, Independence. And you can do that by visiting canine.com. Dot org. Dot org. K9.org. I was just thinking when we were talking about the URL, how easy it was. So, um, <laughs> but you want to go to K9.org and you want to click on location and Northeast, or you can just give a call to 631-561-0200. So we have this new year, 2023. If you could have anything you wanted, Deborah, what would it be? Oh, my goodness. Um, I think it would be for more people to know about the services that we provide and and want and more people who would want to volunteer to help and and just feel good about what you're doing. It takes a village. So if you like to talk, if you have a circle of influence, please give a call so that we can recruit more ambassadors. And if you have a little extra time, or one of the things that I've been talking about for volunteering is that many people have reevaluated, you know, what they want to do for work or, or, you know, what purpose that they are Um, committing to in their life going forward. And volunteering is a great way to not only meet fantastic people and people of influence, but also to experience different types of work that might be a great fit and a great match for you. So reach out to uh, Canine Companions for Independence. Again, the number is 631-561-0200. Again, Deborah, thank you so much for joining us. I want to take just a few minutes to recognize my program manager. Uh, this will be our last uh, program. And we are so honored and have been so blessed to have Barbara Record uh, in setting up our programs, setting up our schedules, and helping us to send the word out to our community about the angels working in the nonprofit world who help us fill the gaps and bridge the uh, holes that we have. Thank you very much, Deborah. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station, JVC Broadcasting Management, or its sponsors.